Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. So today I'd like to uh, <clears throat> maybe pick up um, where I left yesterday. Uh, if you remember, or if you were there, um, I was uh, I finished a little bit talking about uh, we were talking about skillfulness and on what's skillful and unskillful, and like uh, we were getting to this more subtle point of um, is it. Is, uh, is it really skillful to own things, uh, identify uh, things as I, mine? And the Buddhist suggestion, and for, it's for us to check out, but that if we can release this identification and just actually meet experience, meet what, what's there, and release the eyeing and myeing around it, uh, that it can... Uh, It can be for our own benefit and for the benefits of other others. So I want to talk a little bit more about this, explore this um, today. Um, I don't know if you've heard that, but sometimes we describe Buddhism as the middle path. Have you heard this? The middle path. There's several ways to talk about this. It's it's actually, a, I like this little middle path thing because I see it in many ways, you know. It's uh, Instead of being in, on the path of indulgence, looking for pleasure everywhere at all costs, you know, or the path of mortification that was really uh, very prevalent in the time of the Buddha, of like no pleasure, pleasure is dangerous, avoid pleasure at all costs, you know, and uh, you know, sit on and sleep on beds of nails just to make sure that it's not pleasant because pleasantness it's going to get you hooked, you know. And the middle path right in there where the Buddha says, no, it's not the pleasantness that is the problem. It's the hooking that is the problem. Pleasantness is not a problem. It can be experiences. It's not a problem. You don't have to fear pleasantness. You just have to be aware that sometimes the mind gets hooked when something is pleasant, wants more, etc. So that often we talk about the middle path in this way. It's the path between indulging, looking for pleasure at all costs, and avoiding pleasure. It's just like when pleasure is there, it can be totally known. When it's absent, is, is it possible to have a free mind also and not get all you know, worked up because it's not fun? You know? <laughs> and so that's a way to talk about the middle path. But another way that I like is this uh, about this uh, very subject of selfing and owning is the middle path between uh, identification with what is uh, going on and the other extreme that I would see there for me is uh, irresponsibility. Oh, it's not mine, it's all, this is how things are, you know, and I, so I want this, I take it, I want to say that, I say that, you know. And the middle path for me being right there, seeing what is arisen, what is there, and how best to take care of it. No need to uh, own it, own uh, any beautiful mind state that is present. It's my generosity. No, it's generosity is present, calmness is present. And not need to own or identify also with uh, um, anything even something from the past, I did that, I was a bad person. No, this action was performed, it led to suffering for this and this person, or this action was performed, and it, w it led to the well-being of many, you know, or it was a good choice, you know. No need to uh, create arrogance around something, or guilt, you know. And in the same way for somebody else, no need to actually blame It's you identify a person with an action. That action was very detrimental, was very hurtful. That was not a good choice of action or words, you know. And not this tendency that we have to... And even if we see somebody who looks like the person who did the bad action, <laughs> we start hating them, you know, like, you look just like my... Dot, dot, dot. 
and so we can see uh, the delusion in that. Yeah. Um, I remember on one of the, I don't know if it was a teen retreat or a, a young adult retreat, but I remember having an exchange in the, the hall with all the students, and one uh, young woman was saying, sometimes like I'm cool and generous and easygoing, and sometimes I'm just such a unless you have the word for it, you know, so uptight and so calculating, and so which one am I, you know? And I said, well, in Buddhism, you don't, this problem is taken totally out, you know? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to decide who you are. You just have to see what is skillful and what is unskillful, and nurture what is skillful, and uh, abandon, try to abandon as much as possible what is unskillful. You don't have to own any of it. These are just energies that come and there can be discernment, there can be wisdom, there can be a clear seeing. Oh, here is tightness, you know, is this, is a, a, how do you say that, gringe, gringe? When you're really calculating your money and being really... Gringe. What? what? Gringe. Gringe, yeah. So is, here is this gringiness. <laughs> it does exist, you know. And so you can recognize, oh, is this fear of lack, you know. Fear of lack is making me say or do or not do or not say, you know. And oh, is that is that an energy that is entangling or liberating? How is that, you know? Can I release, can that be released? Uh, not, not cultivated, not trained, you know. And so... Um, and I like I like that it seems to, to for me anyway it simplifies life. Oh, what is skillful? What is unskillful? And the way I think about this sometimes is, uh, what is driving the show? You know, because there's some energy that is going to make me say what I'm about to say, and some energy that is going to make me not say what I won't say or do what I do. And I'd like to be aware of this, and so it brings the. Um, um, the, the attention uh, to in, uh, the in, attention to intention, intention. So, and that's what we're doing here. We're sitting here and seeing what, you know, in a way. Also, it's um, it's not so much what am I thinking about or my thoughts. It's what is thinking, is worry thinking, or is. Uh, is investigation, uh, exp- you know, uh, wanting to know what's happening, uh, producing thoughts, is uh, benevolence and compassion thinking. So, and just that can be liberating to think. If if I really think these are my thoughts and it's all about me, I'm very interested in my thoughts. But if, <laughs> if suddenly they're not my thoughts, they're just the thoughts of some quality of mine. I still want to know very much, but it changes a bit. I'm not in the fascination of self and what I think about this. And it's just, what is here right now? Is is what is here? Uh, the desire to be somewhere else, you know, or the resistance to to what is here makes makes the word appear in the mind. Like, when will the bell ring? Right? How many hours before Sunday? Whatever time is of the end of that retreat? Is it 22 hours or 21 hours left? You know? <laughs> so, um, so it's not so much me thinking this, but some mind state. And so it could become useful in life to, again, remove the glasses of me, I want out of here, I want to stay here forever, I want to become a nun or a monk. Or, and just, so what is, what is producing these thoughts? Is it the desire to get more? Or... Is it uh, acceptance? Oh, it's hard to be here right now. Or, oh, it's okay. You know, uh, Things didn't turn out exactly as I planned them. <coughs> oh, this is acceptance, talk, acceptance talking. So recognizing uh, this. It's very important to start to see uh, what are the qualities at play. Because not only... Can they um, can they bring um, difficulty, like the difficulty of feeling fear or anxiety or self-loathing, 
it, it's difficult to be in these mind state. The, the need, to, the, the wanting at all costs to be somebody else, be somewhere else, have something, be seen in a certain way. You know, like this is hard to feel these things. And I'm not, I try when I talk to name different of the difficult emotions, I'm not going to be able to name them all. But there's your favorite one, <laughs> the one you have, yeah, or your not so favorite, but the, the one that shows up a lot. Maybe I don't name, but you can name. You're welcome in the talk. <laughs> you, know, you, can, you can put your, uh, the quality that is uh, prevalent for you and, and difficult to be with. You can stick it in there in the talk, you know. And so is it not, it, it is not only maybe hard to feel confusion, for example, or mm. being, what is the word, despondent or uh, something like this. It's not only hard to feel, but uh, another reason why we would want to know that this is happening clearly, not be in the trance of it. I'm no good, I've always been no good, you're no good, you know. Not be in the trance of, but see, like, oh, this is what's talking right now. N I want to be aware of this not only because it's difficult to feel, but also because it alters perception in a way that we don't even, we can't see. Like we put these, it's like colored glasses that we put on. And so the l life looks like this. The world looks like this. The future looks like this. The weather looks like this. We were talking today and somebody said, yesterday I felt like this, this is going to be my words. Less, yesterday, really adaptation here. <coughs> yesterday I felt like shit and the weather was like shit. Today I feel really good and you see how beautiful the weather is? <laughs> so we can see here our perception as an impact, you know, because somebody else who felt ye great yesterday, I felt good yesterday. I thought the weather was great, you know, and today maybe I'm a little bit more tired or a little bit more something and I find it a little grayish and sad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we can see this and, you know, when I get home and my partner or child is there and I'm exhausted and irritated because of the, you know, coming the, the transportation or something, you know, and how my mate looks or my child might look, you know, uh, they might appear. So this this is this is a very important point. This the, the mind state that is there will create some perceptions, and we, as we sit here, we want to become aware of this that oh. I appear to be the bad, the worst meditator of the group. I wonder why. Would that be a fact? Or would that be a perception that is linked to a certain mood that is there? You know? So that's uh, uh, one reason to, to be uh, very aware of this. In this practice, this aspect of um, uh, experience called perception is also something we become aware of. We... Uh, one way that I understand this practice is a lot that we, the way I word it in my mind, and I'm going to try to explain it after, is this practice is, in, in a way, is putting perception back in its place, meaning realizing that what I'm seeing, the reality I'm seeing, is actually just a perception. It appears a certain way because of confusion, because of a, a certain kind of understanding, or because of a mood that is there. It appears like this. For example, it appears that I'm separate separate from others. It really does appear like... Not only does it appear... The appearance is so well made that the mirage is so well constructed that it just it doesn't appear like this it, to me it's the reality I'm really separ separate from others well when I start to uh, refine attention a little bit and, and start to be attentive I start to see like oh inside outside is not so clear sometimes what I call me is very changing you know, sometimes the best me in the hall, sometimes the worst me, sometimes the average me, you know, and it, it changes. And so I start to see that my perceptions are also uh, 
have the nature to pass and fluctuate like everything else, like the mood. And, and so some of the very solid perceptions that I have, for example, the one of being separate, I might in time in my practice start to see through this, that mirage, that is not so much so. Today in one of the group interviews, to me it was very palpable because there was an exchange and I could see how somebody sharing was having an impact on others very, very clearly. So much so that one of the retreatants, and I think I can say this with staying in the realm of the confidential, but somebody when was there time to talk, they said, well, I'm going to report something very different than I would a minute ago <laughs> just because of what happened in the room, you know. This, there was a something that, and so for me, as I was sitting there, I was like, "Wow, we're not so separate." You know, somebody just described their their day, or their thoughts, or what's in their world. You know, and suddenly I'm changed, I'm transformed. You know, so we're much more porous than we uh, appear to be. And uh, yeah, so. Mm. learning to be attentive to mood and how mood uh, uh, influence perception and starting to be attentive and, uh, and more calm in order to see perception itself how it appears that time is so slow and then suddenly wow this, this sitting went so quickly yet both 40 minutes sits you know, the perception even of time is liable to emotions and moods. Yeah. There's um, one s- saying that I uh, like a lot find uh, has a lot of depth to it uh, from Nisargadatta and he says uh, love tells me I'm everything wisdom tells me I'm nothing between the two my life flows and so we can see uh, when very much uh, present in the mind there's this Benevolence, this care, this well-wishing. Uh, suddenly, it's true that everything counts. Everything equal. Everything. Uh, uh, I become everything in a way. I'm touched by the suffering of others. It doesn't make a difference. Even a neutral person, if I have the sensibility to think, you know, like yesterday, I was saying, think of somebody you love and how precious this life is. And you might have felt this. And then think of somebody in this room. If the heart is kind of open at that moment, it doesn't make a difference that that one is in my circle of caring, my habitual circle of caring, and that this one is usually not. It's just suddenly the humanity of that being too is touching. And so I become everything. And wisdom tells me I'm nothing is that I sit here and when the mind is quiet, it's that, oh, hearing happens. I'm not, I am not the hearing. The hearing happens by itself. I'm not this consciousness. There is consciousness. There is an awareness. But it's not mine. I don't, I didn't make it happen. The awareness that is between every eyes here, here in this room, the uh, kind of aliveness, in a way, as somebody says, it's of a public domain. It doesn't belong to anybody. It's this knowing quality. Is this knowing that you're experiencing as you're being here? You, there might be a coloring, like a, a history to it and stuff, but this pure knowing is probably the same between all eyes and, and in all minds. And so, in this practice, we start releasing little area by area the the identification start to feel like oh tingling can't be mine because it's gone all the time so the physicality 
is not really mine. And it is, in a way, yeah, I have to take care of this body and protect this body. But also, suddenly, my view can open and bring in both. It's mine and it's not mine. Yeah? If I go outside to walk and I find my path, this is my path, and I spend 10 minutes walking in my path, it's mine. And then somebody comes and whoops, they eat a little bit of my path. <laughs> they claim a little bit of it. You know? So now I can realize, oh, this never was mine. It just appeared to be mine, but it's not possible to own something. You know? It's not really possible to own anything. My child, my partner, my bicycle, my work, you know. And so this this is changing also. It has a changing nature. I cannot really own anything. I can, and in conversation I can say, this is my car, you know. But if somebody goes with it, clearly it was not totally mine, you know. It was mine conventionally by agreement. You know, we agreed until somebody didn't agree. <laughs> and they went, you know, they broke the, the law, they broke the agreement. Yeah. And so it's not mine anymore, and we can see this. And so it's wise to start to think about this and experience it for ourselves, to say, oh, not mine, I don't have to own this. Maybe I have a few little wise words here to back me up. Or I thought I did. Maybe I don't see it. So part of our practice, anyway, is to question this, to start to to uh, make the eye become uh, at least more flexible, more fluid, you know, than the uh, strong uh, idea of eye. Maybe one, I had a few different things that I wanted to touch on, and maybe I'll bring this in now, is um, in, in this practice, uh, sometimes we talk about deep sankharas, deep uh, conditionings, and we can see how we don't control things, because although I would want to feel a certain way, this is not what, what happens. You know, it, I feel a different way. I don't have so much control over it. And I can gain a little, uh, you know, built on some qualities of mind to accompany some of the qualities that are there, some of the, the hooks, you know. Although I want to let go, some people describe this, the, the letting go I can't do, but at some point it just happens, yeah. And um, I'm, I want to talk a little bit about deep uh, conditionings because uh, sometimes they arise in... Uh, in practice, that um, maybe I did talk about this yesterday. Some, like, example, a, a grieving process will take its own time, you know, and uh, and uh, I cannot make it finish myself. You know, I can accompany it, but I cannot make it finish. Or uh, I'll come here with the intention of being very quiet and calm and my life is all good. And, and suddenly something happens as I arrive here and it makes me feel like I don't belong or, uh, or something like this. And, and I didn't plan it, but up, that's what's up. And I have to deal with that conditioning, that, that thing that is up. And I have to learn to... And so, I think what I wanted to say was that there's a need for a lot of humility in this practice. Because things are not self, they're, 
they're conditioned. They arise when the conditions are right. And when the conditions are right, they dismantle. And many of the conditions we don't have control over. We control on, only a few of the conditions. But there is one condition that we bring in that kind of equation, we could say, of life, uh, is this uh, condition of uh, uh, the mindfulness or the awareness. Yeah. Sometimes it seems like it's um, very passive, like I sit here all day just being aware. Like this is, not, this is very passive, not much is going to happen out of that, is it? Is it? You know? But yet it's important to understand that uh, being aware, being awake, being conscious, being mindful is actually a new thing that is happening in reality. It's a new condition that comes in and this is going to have an impact. And so, uh, although it looks passive, it's very, very participative, if I can say that, if that's a word. <laughs> it participates. It's, it's actually active. It's a new thing that is uh, on. And that uh, is having a great impact. So we um, slowly start to let go of uh, the owning in the, in the practice. And that's just that is very liberating to recognize that, oh, this emotion is there, it's not mine, but it's clearly there. The thoughts, if I have, uh, let's say, I know we're sensitive, but I'm going to say the word anyway, let's say I have a murderous thought. You know, if I'm identified with this, ah, such a bad person to think that this is horrible but if I'm not identified I can just see like wow this thought it's better not to act on that one you know? better to let that one go you know? and so then there's less of a problem there yeah? if we're identified with um, and in many ways we are identified and we don't even know but in the Buddhist teaching it says if you're identified it might not hurt now, but it will hurt at some point if there's a some kind of owning mine, my, uh, belongs to me, it's inside of me, I'm inside it. All, all the different ways that we think about, uh, that we identify our own. There's, there's a few ways that are classic. You might look at this in your experience. Buddha says sometimes we think we're inside something. I'm not the body, but I'm inside the body. Or, I'm not, it's not me, so maybe it's me, I'm the body, or, but maybe uh, I own it, it's mine. Yeah. So I'm, I'm attached to it in this way, I'm, it's mine. So there's an I somewhere in there that, you know, uh, Ajahn uh, Amaro says, uh, to find... Uh, I, without a, wor a world that burdens it, is a little bit like trying to run from one's own shadow. It's not possible, because one generates the other. If there is an I somewhere, there is the world. It's possible to make it work, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of defending and protecting and promoting and strategizing. Yeah? And so in the practice we start to see if we can release that. And first we have to recognize it. Oh, I really feel like I'm, I'm not the, the pleasantness or the unpleasantness that comes with experience, but it's clearly mine and you just blew it You know when you came late and my pleasant sitting was disturbed by your coming in. <laughs> and so we can see this, oh, I'm owning pleasantness and unpleasantness. When clearly pleasantness and unpleasantness is very conditional. Yeah. And the condition changes all the time. So, do you see anything of value in there? 
that it would be start to be good to recognize, oh, this is actually pleasant. Better not own it. Just experience it. Let it be free. You know? Because if it's my pleasure and you blew my pleasure when, you know, then it's, uh, it's a problem. But if pleasure is recognized as something very shaky, then it can come in and go out. Unple- unpleasantness also. Another thing that we tend to own is uh, is this intention, the intention. I'm I'm the one. Uh, there's a few one that I can name that I I like. I'm the one who um, I'm the one who when I do the walking. I'm the one who turns. It's, it's me. I turn. The Buddhist thought goes very far because we're all sitting there saying like, "Wow, you're not going to challenge this, are you?" You know, clearly I turn. You know. Well, it's very interesting that I turn when I reach, uh, you know, the cliff or <laughs> or the tree or the wall. You know, and you might say, "Well, not me. My path is not at the end of the wall." <laughs> you know, it's where I decide. But still, it's interesting. Who decided, what decided to walk there more than there, you know? Some energy decided, some some state of mind decided to walk there instead of there, you know? The intention to eat, sometimes I do this on retreat, I, if I'm hungry and there's a plate and a fork and I put some broccoli on it, and I just wait a little bit, chances are the intention to bring the fork to the mouth will arise. On the superficial reality, I would say, like, I choose to eat. But if the conditions are right, hunger, fork in hand, broccoli on fork, <laughs> the intention suddenly arises. Yeah. So, so we, start, we can start to see how things are conditional. How, you know, when the bell rings, people start moving. I move. It's interesting, if the bell didn't ring, you wouldn't move, you know. So that arises out of conditions, yeah. And uh, so pretty much, I mean, in Buddhist view, it would be like everything that is done is because the conditions are there. Some conditions we perceive as inner and some outer, but still, they're not so personal, even if nobody can see exactly maybe my state of mind, the state of mind that is in there. Is it still mine, you know, or does it come from my education, the, uh, the, the things that I encountered, you know, the, the situations that I encountered, the conclusion that were driven and made, you know, all this is uh, not so personal. You know, when I when I teach in uh, like this in English in America, they're not used to the French Canadian accent. So in California, they find it very lovely. You know, and I could be mistaken. I could really think it's me, my my accent. You know, but that accent is born out of the situation. You know, it's not mine, but it's clearly there. There's no doubt that it's there, and it's in many cases it's very favorable because there's a little charming aspect that comes with it <laughs> you know I, can, I don't have to own it there's uh, you know I can see like oh yeah it, it makes people in California listen closely and smile when they listen <laughs> so it's a doorway in for me you know but it's not mine I don't have to own this you know but it's there yeah Maybe another condition things a thing that happened that you might become aware of or, or have seen is um, when we say that when there is a contact. I was talking about this a little bit this morning. When there is a contact with the eye and something seen, or the ear and the sound, or the mind and a thought, any uh, any uh, any sense door. When there is a contact. There's always a feeling tone. It arises with it of pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neither one or the other. That just comes with. 
But it's not the only thing that happens. There's another thing also that happens, is that when there's a contact, like let your ear contact the sound that is coming from outside. Uh, you might uh, be able to, depending on uh, you know, the quality of your hearing, you might hear something or not. I don't know. But when there's this contact with the sound in the ear, there's a conception that happens. You don't have to think, you don't have to make it happen, but it says rain or it says water melting. It says some, something, it's recognized, it's a good thing. Because, you know, when you come in the room, you see, you, you don't have to think it, you don't have to force it, it just, it's impersonal, it happens by itself. We make it very personal, but when we come in, there's a recognition of cushion, chair, you know, person, man, woman, uh, you know, Nadia. You know, there's a, there's a recognition. It just happens. It's part of the human experience. We can become aware of this. Just how it happens by itself, you can't control it. Like, I, I can see it as I was looking at you guys. There was board appeared in my mind. There was, there's a blackboard behind you. I cannot not, it's conditional. You know, I spent so many years in school <laughs> looking at the board that I know it's a board, you know. And when I look over there, as I look at Andrew and Geraldine, there's lamp. It just, I cannot not do it. So it's, in a way, it's not mine also. It just happens. But, so there's a contact with the something visual. There's a, there's a conception. And very often, most of the time, there's proliferation that comes. It's just a chain of event. So I sit here, there's a little in the lower back. It, I know it's lower back, I don't have to force, where, what, is it, is it heard or it's felt? No, I know it's felt, <laughs> and I know it's in the lower back, it's just, it just does that. It's part of human nature, it recognizes. And I can see, like, wow, I really thought this was personal, it's me recognizing. No, it's just happened, that's what happens when you're a human being. And sometimes it's very dis disrupted so that you, you know, can't recognize. You think that that person is your child when they're not. Or, you know, there can be all kinds of things that happen with this. But anyway, there's a recognition. And often there's a, a proliferation that follows. So it would be a natural thing that happened. That there's like, and it's like lower back ache. Oh my God, I hope it doesn't get worse, if it gets worse, I wonder how, how much time there is left, do you see? So it leads to uh, same thing, there's an image that comes to mind and I don't know like just now, I don't know when I said an image come to mind, for some reason for me I saw a, a field of uh, daisies or little flowers and, and then why did that image come? I wonder why like, that's a beautiful image, I prefer to have a beautiful image than an ugly image you know, and, and it just that's what the mind does. But we can become aware of this. That's something we can see. And this morning in the instructions, if you remember, I was suggesting maybe there's a way to stay at the point of contact and make our life very simple and put the intention, have the intention to really just hear, stay at the point of hearing, stay at the point of feeling the touch. Because in our life, how we live is... We have a moment of contact, very short. You know, this line is uh, um, a very, very short point of contact. And after, we go in the world of proliferation. You know, we see a little thing. Oh, why do they have that? I don't have that. Why didn't I get that? They forget about me. Nobody thinks about me. Nobody ever thinks about me. I don't think about myself. Let me, me go get it, you know. There was a moment of seeing a little thing, and then the world is created, you know. And so, in the practice, we can uh, aim at staying at the point of contact. And so, when I was using the image of the walled city, I was saying, like, could you be the guard at the door and just say, like, oh, hearing, sensation, sensation, breath, breath. And just practice simplifying life like this. It's a, it's a great practice. It's actually a very, very, very deep practice. I'm going to read you one of the deepest teachings that I know of. And it's, a, it's an exchange. Uh, well, or This is going to be something that the Buddhist says to Bahia. 
So there was this uh, person, Bahia, who uh, they thought they were enlightened, they thought they had done the job. And somebody wiser than them came and said, you're mistaken, you haven't completed the job. You know, Maybe your life is good, it feels good inside, but there's latent tendency still in the mind. There's some misunderstanding, confusion that is still there. And given the right conditions, you would suffer. <laughs> you know, Maybe when you know your health, you, you're feeling all good and because you're healthy and suddenly somebody would tell you a diagnosis that you're not healthy, maybe you would fall into despair. It just appears that all is good. But you might have still some identification. For example, without knowing it, you might be identified with your health or your youth or your... I talk about this from, from, from knowledge, from direct knowledge, because at some point I didn't know that I was, uh, I was uh, identified with, uh, with health. I thought that Pascal equaled health. I was health. But I would never have said that in a conversation. I was not aware of it. But when the doctor said, hey, you're... Well, what I heard was you're actually dying. You know, you don't have an immune system anymore. It's gone, you know. Suddenly there was, whoa. It was, it was difficult for me because I had been identified with the body, the healthy body, the image, the idea of a healthy person, you know. So I didn't know what to do anymore. Like, what do you mean, medication? I, I don't take medication. I, I, I am healthy. Well, no. Apparently, conditions have changed, you know. But there was identification. So anyway, Bahia maybe was in a similar situation, somewhat wiser, but something was not completely cleaned. And so this person says, you're not, you haven't completed the work, you know, there's still hidden things in there. And he said, this wise person said, you should go and find the Buddha. He's, he's far, far away, but apparently that's the best uh, person you can talk to these days about this stuff. So Bahia went on a quest and walked miles and miles and kilometers and kilometers and found the Buddha and said, will you please give me a teaching because apparently I'm not done. I cannot feel it so so much. It's not clear to me, but I, I trust the person who told me. And the Buddha said, not now. I have to go and uh, uh, gather some food, let people offer me food because I need to eat. And, and uh, after 12 o'clock, I can't eat anymore like the monks and nuns do. You know, they eat before lunch. And he said, let me go and I'll teach you after. And Bahia was, said, no, please, you have to tell me even... A, little teaching, give me something because I, I need to know. And the Buddha said, no. And he asked a third time and the Buddha said, the Buddha said okay. Bahia said, you have to because we never know what's going to come. You know. And so the Buddha said this, and this is what I referred to as the deepest teaching that I've heard around. Or one of the deepest. He said, okay then, Bahia. You should train yourself thus. In reference to the scene, there will be only the scene. In reference to the herd, let there be only the herd. In reference to the sensed, let there be only the sensed. In reference to the perceived, let there be only the perceived. That is how you should train yourself. When for you, there will be only the scene in reference to the scene, only the heard in reference to the heard, only the sensed in reference to the sensed, only the perceived in ref reference to the perceived, then Bahia, there is no you in terms of that. When there is no you in terms of that, there is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here nor yonder nor in between the two. This, just this, is the end of suffering. So this, this can be the practice here. Hearing is happening. Breathing is happening. Just that. The appearance of me being the best in the room appears like this. The appearance of 
me being the worst just appears like this. I'm just playing with these two, but this an infinite number of perceptions that we have. That there's, it just appears like it's too long. It just appears that it's short. It just appears, and just to see it, just this is what's happening, nothing else. And leave it exactly as that. This is extremely simple and really not easy. Like I really brought us to the deepest end of practice there. But freedom can be gained there. And you can find in your experience where it's affordable or um, where it's uh, accessible, maybe is the better word. That in the knee doing like this, there's only the knee doing this. Can it be left uh, free? No, it's my knee and my knee and what will happen to my knee and my future with that kind of knee. You know? And just say, wow, okay. Fear of going back to work Monday mor- morning feels like this. You know? Can that be left alone or it has to lead to more proliferation? No, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. No, I'm not going to be okay. You know, you don't know. I'm there every day. I'm there every day too. You're going to be fine. You've been fine for 10 years. You know? <laughs> so, oh, fear, fears. <coughs> so you, you can imagine how much calm it needs or refinement of attention because otherwise it's just the habitual way to enter into a fight with our own thoughts you know and, um, when we clear things like this what I find most amazing is that um, it doesn't become dry it doesn't become like dissociated indifferent you know like nothing is me nothing is exist or I don't know what the the weird thing because it, it, it truly appears weird to me is that the heart is released suddenly what comes at the foreground is love uh, compassion if it's difficult uh, or if it's unpleasant or painful joy if it's perceived as beautiful and uh, it's easeful, you know. It's really the, the Buddha talks about the heart's release. You know, when the heart is released, naturally there's a, a benevolence in the heart, goodwill. That's kind of the basic, uh, most uh, material of uh, the human mind. You know, it's balance and ease. So when we clarify in this way that things are not so mine as they appear to be, we're basically finding a way to release the heart. I have all these quotes, I should read a few. Here is one. This is the Buddha. I teach the Dhamma for the abandoning of the gross acquisition of a self. So it's not me saying this. This is the guy 2,600 years ago. I teach the Dhamma for the abandoning of the gross acquisition of a self. The mind-made acquisition of a self. The formless acquisition of a self such that when you practice it, defiling mental qualities will be abandoned and bright mental qualities will grow. When defiling mental qualities are abandoned and bright mental qualities have grown, there is joy, rapture, serenity, mindfulness, alertness, and a pleasant, happy abiding here and now. So... I know that I'm bringing in like really like the deepest teaching here of, around not self, 
you know. So it can be very challenging because that's the one thing that we never question, you know. But we can see it in the form maybe we can gain entry two ways that I think of is in terms of like recognizing how uh, skillful it could be to release some of the owning of my opinions, my fun, my um, whatever it is you want to put there really, material stuff, you know. I don't have to, through renunciation and through wisdom, is not to give up your house, you know, but it, to know that it's not yours, really, you know. If we identify, I try to move in all directions here, but if we identify with uh, memory, for example, and at some point it starts to go, that's really painful. But if we've known that memory is conditional and it might go at some point, maybe it'll be a little bit easier. You know. If I'm identified with somebody who can really discern that they're teaching a retreat in English, you know, and actually cannot discern at different times that I'm teaching a retreat in English and I start speaking French. If I'm really identified with this, you know, then I'm in trouble because I've got to be ashamed and I'm going to hate myself and can't you not, you know. But if I can recognize like, oh, okay, intelligence is not even mine and it's shaky. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not there, you know. And the conditions are such that this is how it shows up. It, it, uh, yeah, and I can still be responsible. I can still, you know, there's still the possibility of uh, engaging with this in the more the most skillful way or anything else. You know, I can still pay the bills. And Jack, I keep coming back to Jack. I spend a month with him, so he robs on me. But he says it's, uh, it's very important to uh, remember your social security number. You know. So uh, there's a, a saying that says, my, my mind is vast as the sky and my attention to detail as refined as a grain of barley, uh, of, um, a grain of um, barley flour. So I know that it's not possible to own anything, but I do know my social security number, if you ask me, or my postal code. Oh, I do know that it's me who put it there and I shouldn't have, maybe, you know. But I know that there's nothing that belongs to me, really. And my attention to detail also uh, stays. Yeah. Here it says, For there is suffering, but none who suffers. Doing exists, although there is no doer. Extinction is but no extinguished person. Although there is a path, there is no goer. I think part of the spiritual path is actually becoming more and more at ease with paradoxes. You know? But to me it rings really true. There is suffering, there is uh, you know, clinging, there is confusion, there is suffering, but no one who really suffers is just something that is there and it's important to recognize it and it has to be released you know the suffering has to be released that's the whole teaching here but the teaching also says in the end if you look really deeply at any part of experience there's not one that you'll be able to truly own because it's changing and it's conditional and some teachers say if you think about this your head will crack it's not something to to think about. It's something to touch, to learn, to intuit, to, f to feel into. And it starts with just uh, heart beating. Do you make it happen? Does it happen to you? Or how, how is it perceived? You know, heart is beating clearly. You know, the impatience arises. You know, kindness arises. I wonder if there are any questions around this. Probably loads, but.
<laughs> start with one, Annabelle. <laughs> oui, 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 je vais traduire ce truc. So the question is around um, releasing, and Annabelle says, you've spoken a lot about releasing, you have to release things, and uh, it does. it's not my experience that things are released, you know, they're more, they seem more sticky, maybe. And uh, what, how could we create some conditions for release to happen? And so the main condition is truly this attention to see, and I, I don't know what exactly you're thinking you think it, there's probably many things but if we could find just one example but let's say there's obsession in the mind obsession about monday morning obsession about that person obsession about something about the past then the best way to release the obsession is to actually become aware that obsession is there because the difference and that's also something to be felt to be experienced how it is to be in the trance of obsession Monday morning, and I can't, you know, Monday, I don't want to go back Monday morning. That might be the expense of one person here or nobody, but still we can we can work with that example. So, you know, so there's this, up and, and there's like, let go of this. Be with the darn breath. <laughs> but there's like going back to Monday morning, you know, so there's obsession. So the main uh, work that we do here is to accept that there is a there is obsession and become aware of it, but not be in the trance of it. But at moments, at least, just be able to name it, recognize. Wow, the mind is upset. So right there, it becomes an object. I'm not so much merged in it, fused with it. This it becomes an object. The obsession, you know, and even technically. So do you follow me in English? Yeah. So even technically, at the moment where you can say there is obsession here, there's no obsession. In that mind moment, it's actually gone. It doesn't exist. The second after, though, when it says, yeah, but, you know, that is obsession back, you know. But there can be this very quick dance of being in it and out of it. And when you're out of it, it actually doesn't exist. But you might feel the leftovers in the body, though, you know, because the obsession makes... The hormones go in a certain way, makes tightness go, contraction, you know. And so when you stop for a second, then you're like, wow, this mind is so upset. And it still hurts, but it's the kind of reminiscence or the leftovers. But in that moment of clarity, of mindfulness, there's no obsession. The second after, there might be. Yeah. But it's very important that you come out of this for, for a moment, at least. So that is the main thing. And then... You know, instead of, the Buddha talks a lot about the second arrow. Let's say there's obsession. And on top of it, you don't want obsession. You judge yourself for obsession. I'll add another one here. You judge yourself for obsession. And you're a bad meditator. And it brings confusion because, you know, I'm not sure I should be here. I should do Sufi dancing instead. That <laughs> you know? And so there's all these arrows. And what you learn to do is actually say, oh, there's obsession, my love. You know, it's, there's, there's a lot of obsession. And it was just gone for a minute. Yes, but you know, it comes back. But you keep only one arrow in the heart, you know, instead of two or three or four. You know, this is a major cleanup that you're doing there. You know, or obsessed? No, not me. No, 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 no. I'm just with my breath. You know, like oh, delusion on top. <laughs> It seems like bad news, you know. We we seem to soak sometimes in bad news the whole day, you know. It's like, oh my God, this mind is crazy. But most people don't know their minds are crazy, you know. Bhante Gunaratana says it's a little bit like if you were you, sitting here on retreat, might feel a little bit like if you were stuck with some mad person in the telephone booth, 
And the telephone booth was uh, sitting on a little wheeled cart and it was going down a hill. You know, that's, that might be your experience as you're sitting here. Well, it's a good news because that's what's happening to most people. They don't even, they're not aware of it. You know, if you ask anybody in the street, you know, do you control your mind? I say, yes, I think what I want to think. You know. But when we sit here, we discover that no, there's forces at play. You know. But we create new conditions by, amongst other things, Pascal saying, be attentive, bring loving awareness, you know, like, so in this way we're not so separate because I, I, you know, create some inner conditions for you, I remind you, you know, and when it's not me, it's somebody else who's sitting next to you, you know, you open your eyes, you're like, wow, people are mindful, you, so in this way we train each other, you know, and so it's not so much me, but this job of the teacher, you know, it's a conditioning, you know, and so I ex- explain it. You could do this when you brush your teeth or put your, and suddenly it appears in your mind that you could actually be present as you put your shoes on, you know. It's not so personal, it was conditioned by what was said, you know, what earlier. And that's why also, side little note here to finish with maybe. Buddha, Ananda, another exchange with Ananda and the Buddha, Ananda says, uh, he says, Is it, isn't it true that spiritual friends are very important on the path to freedom? And the Buddha says, no, Ananda. Uh, spiritual friends are not just important on the path. They're not just after the path. They are the path. There is no path outside of it. You know, It's a recognition that uh, to actually find freedom. Uh, I think somewhere it says the two main conditions are the voice of another and attention are the two main uh, ways to find freedom. So that the voice of another sometimes takes the form of a book that you read, or it might take the form of a Dharma seed, uh, uh, you know, podcast that you're listening to, or... But the voice of another is is uh, what helps, and so very important to hang out with wise beings. Uh, yesterday I talked about some of the qualities of mind in that list of the seven qualities. In in the one discourse of the Buddha, I think he says he talks about every one of the qualities, and at the end he says, "Oh, and if you want to develop more calm, hang out with calm people." And then he talks about equanimity. Oh, if you want to. Uh, 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 develop more equanimity. Hang out with equanimous people. And if you want to develop investigation, hang out with investigative people. And if you want to um, develop uh, mindfulness or caring awareness, hang out with people who experience it, embody it. You know. So this is what you're doing, being here, is setting the right conditions from that point of view, anyway. I'm going just when you were talking about the leftovers. Yeah. This is resonates. So I can feel it. So what can we do with that? You know, when we, see, we feel it in the body, and it doesn't have a name because it's a, a feeling or. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in this practice, we don't want to you know, like uh, analyze or dig in any way. You just, we just connect with what is there. I, I keep thinking affordable, but uh, uh, tangible, uh, accessible. So if you're sitting here and there's something that appears to you like a leftover of something or some contraction, in it, just become curious about it. So what is actually here? Get to know it, the texture of it, the feel of it. Just with acquiring caring quality, especially if it's difficult, compassionate quality. Oh, not easy to feel that hollowness or that heat or that piercing or that heaviness or that contraction. Stop, Pascal, enough. <laughs> but, you know, it's not easy to feel this. And so become a friend, a good friend to yourself in this way. You know, Let the mind be as a good friend would be. Oh, it's hard for you right now. Huh? Okay, you know. No need to give advice to the just 
accompanying oneself. That is the known in this practice to be the best way to uh, to let it un, undo itself. Sometimes they talk about uh, the self-liberating qualities of emotions, that if you don't mess with them so much, you don't feed them, they'll release by themselves. Okay, so that's many uh, ideas. I hope there was one in there that had some uh, something in there for you. I think, uh, Kip, we are going to stop because it's meal time. But if you can, if it's still uh, existing in existence tomorrow morning, you could uh, maybe ask it or write me a note, maybe. Okay. Thanks. Um, or just now, if you want to come forward and ask me, while we let people go eat, we can talk about this. So let's take just a moment to uh, connect with uh, sitting and breathing. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thought, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind. From Nyoshul Ken Rinpoche. May we learn to rest in natural great ease or peace. Bon appétit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.